For those of you that are um, new to us, my name is Bob Martin. I have a pleasure of being lead pastor here at St. Paul, and I'm so glad to see those of you that are in the, the building, those of you smizing, right, smizing at me, those of you that are live streaming, whether it's on uh, Facebook or YouTube, uh, through our live stream methods, we are so glad that you're tuning in. And um, you know, every week, our, our hope is, is that we can do something to make a little bit of a difference, uh, to, to share the Word of God, to uh, talk about the love of Jesus Christ, um, to let people know that um, God knows them, God loves them, God calls them by name, and to become a part of this family called Christianity. Uh, Jesus gave his life for that, didn't he? He gave his life so that we could become a part of his family. That's what I love about our faith. Just, a, 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 just kind of a side note here. Um, every other world religion, I don't knock them. I just see uh, the truth in, in what we believe. And, and every other world religion, it's, you have to do something. You've got to do something to make the deity accept you. In our faith, in Christianity, God has done that for us. We're not due, we're done. He went to the cross, and we believe in the power of that. Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, uh, we're starting a new series today. It's called Let's Go. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some foundational components, um, not only that, that I think that we should have as human, human beings and as people, but that we also profess as a church. Uh, foundations, we call them values. And, and today I'm talking about this value called love. And so we're going to talk about love today and the importance of that. And as we, as we think about this Let Go series, uh, it's really an invitation for you to, to kind of like, you know, shake it off. Uh, let, let 2020 go and let this be a year that just brings you into a new level of desire for the heart of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. So as followers of Jesus, it, it doesn't take us very long to understand that in the beginning, when, that, when the Genesis story begins, that, that God created us and God created the world out of love. Would you agree with that? That, that the story tells us that there was peace, there was harmony. Um, God had taken away the desire, the want, um, all of the things that we want to just strive for that really aren't from God, um, all of that wasn't existent at that particular time. And in the garden, so to speak, we began to see the true picture of what this created order was to be called about. Um, just as a, another side note, I'm, I'm excited about our Lenten series. Believe it or not, Lent begins in a couple of weeks as we journey to the cross and then on to Easter. And uh, we're going to be talking about the garden of good and evil, and I'm going to bring us back to the Genesis story then as well as we look at the importance of what happened in the garden and how through redemption we become the new people of God. But uh, I want to take a step back and, and look at that for a second. And, and so, so God had created everything that was good. In fact, when, when God created man and God created woman, God looked at them both and said, it is very good. So that's kind of where we know that creation was complete at that particular moment. God said, it is very good. All right? So, so Adam and Eve, the first that we uh, read about in the Genesis story, we understand life was, was, was them searching after God, them loving God, God pouring his love into them. And God had, had not placed in them this, this desire to want anything. Everything was happy in the garden. Everything was complete with creation, just the way that God wanted until something happened. Who recalls what happened? A voice spoke. Sin, right. A voice spoke. So, so we have this voice that speaks into the garden, and it's not a voice of hope, and it's not a voice of love, and it's not a voice of, of foundation at all of what God had placed into the peace of creation, but it was a voice that said, you can have more. 
It was a voice that said, you can be like God. It was a voice that said, challenge the things that which have been given to you because you deserve so much more. And it was of that voice of deception that caused sin to enter into the world. You know, voices are very important. You know, listen, we live in a, a world where we're saturated by information, right? Uh, you know, with social media, with, with broadcast media. Um, you know, listen, um, and, and while I'm saying this, let me just say that, that I'm, I'm reiterating my um, call to you all today. Every year I try to, to make sure the first message that I give the year is to remind you that I take my role very humbly. I take my role very seriously as a, as a pastor called by God, that my ordination traces back to the time of St. Peter, and, and so I, I take that very seriously. And, and I know that as I'm humble that, that, that God challenges me every day to do my best to be faithful to the message of the gospel. And I will never, ever willingly or, or desiringly try to manipulate that with you. Um, and if you feel that that's ever happening, I encourage you to talk to me about that because that is never my intent. And so as, as we begin this, um, this, this first time today, I just, I just kind of want to throw that out there that, that I continue to, to place that before you for my accountability as well. So, so we see that, that this voice comes, and, and it's not the voice of hope. It's not the voice of love. It's not the voice of, of unity. It's actually a voice of deception. It's a voice of destruction. And that's what leads to sin. The Genesis story is very clear that those words spoken, and it reminds us of how powerful our words are, are. The words we speak hold power. You may not believe that, but they do. What you say and how you say it in the context in which you say it will leave a lasting mark on the life of somebody else. Whether you're raising children, whether you're teaching children, whether you are mentoring a student, uh, whether you are in a marriage, whether you're in a relationship, whatever, those words that you share together have importance and have, have accountability. I think this is why Jesus told us about the story of the sheep. And Jesus said, you know, there's a shepherd and there's sheep and, and, and there's this complicated um, method that goes about that. You know, when we think about sheep, I'm not a sheep expert, but, but, I, but I, you know, did a little bit of reading and I've talked to some people. You know, I have an uncle who was a, a cattle farmer at one time and, and uh, so I've talked to some people, but sheep are unique and, and sheep know the voice of their shepherd. I was told that, that even in the Middle East where, where there's a lot of sheep going on, a lot of herding that's going on, that there can be thousands of sheep gathered in one valley and there could be several shepherds that are there and all it takes is for a shepherd to either give a distinct whistle, call, cry, or whatever and his sheep alone know to run to that shepherd of the thousands. And I believe that that's why Jesus said it's so important for us to be able to know and understand the importance of the voice. Jesus says that sheep don't know any better. They just go where they're told. In fact, they go where they're called to go. And the one thing on the mind of a sheep is to what? Eat in good pasture. That's what got shepherds in trouble. It's what gets them in trouble today is they send them to pastures that people say, that's my land, you can't free, free range here. But so, so basically the shepherd has the power through the shepherd's voice Jesus says, to lead the sheep to life, to lead the sheep to love, or the shepherd can not do that and the sheep can hear a different voice. And Jesus calls that the thief. He says, you can hear the voice of the thief, the sheep, the sheep can, and that doesn't lead sheep to life, but it leads sheep to death and destruction. 
Jesus says, you as my children, my sheep, you need to listen to one voice, my voice, the voice of the good shepherd. So let's go and see exactly what Jesus says about this in John chapter 10. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus is telling this story to this very captive audience. He says, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The sheep cannot go out of the pen without hearing a voice. The shepherd speaks to his sheep, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Why are the sheep moving in that direction? They know the shepherd. The shepherd has built in some level of trust. But more importantly, they follow the voice that they know. They follow the voice that represents the person who protects them from wild animals. They follow the voice of the person who goes after them when they're lost. They follow the voice of the person who leads them to green pastures, who leads them to life. But they will never follow a stranger, Jesus said. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here's our question. What voice do you follow today? Whose voice do you follow today? Do you follow the shepherd, the good shepherd, or do you follow the thief? And I think that, that this pose of this question for this parable isn't something for us to go like, well, I'm not a sheep farmer. This doesn't relate to me or not. No, 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 it does because we are the sheep of God's shepherd. God is our shepherd. So it begs the question, whose voice are we listening to today? Whose voice are we following? Are we following the voice of the good shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for us? Or are we following the voice of the thief who's designed in his rhetoric to deceive, destroy, and steal. Here's another voice Scripture talks about. It's of a man whose, whose voice was, to, was used to incite violence, disruption, division, unruly behavior. In fact, he became known as the greatest threat to the followers of Jesus. Jesus had been ministering to, to the people. Um, he had fulfilled the call outlined in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news. And he goes through the litany of things he's called to do. He's God in the flesh. He's healing. He's teaching. He's helping people to understand the truth of God. And he goes to his death on the cross as the lamb sacrificed for all of humanity. And we see that this man that the scriptures talk about rebuked that. He was after them because he did not like the way they thought. He was after them because he thought they were blasphemous. He was after them because he thought that what he had to offer was better and it was law-abiding and it was there. In fact, he was an expert of the law. And he's at battle with the people of Jesus. What if one person's words had the power to change the trajectory of our world? What if one woman's words had the power 
to change the direction of humanity. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff as we look at this, this person who, who I would say is number one in the top 10 list of, of bad dudes, okay? So, so what if a person's voice could move us away from the foundation of what the Good Shepherd teaches, and that is the great commandment, to love God with everything that there is about you and to love your neighbor and love yourself. What would it look like if someone had the power to do that? Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Acts chapter nine, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. You know, he's, he's going to the court, so to speak, to say, give me the power to do this deed. I'm gonna rid the world of the followers of the way. I don't want anybody to be a follower of Jesus, he's saying. And he says, and to do that, if he found any of those who belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. In essence, he was saying anyone who did not follow his voice, they were going to jail. And Saul beat out on this murderous route. As he neared Damascus, Luke writes, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed before him. Remember, um, as we were, those of you that were with us traveling through the time of Christmas and Advent, we talked about how Scripture uses light and darkness as metaphors. Light represents the goodness of God. Darkness represents evil. And I love what Luke says here. He reminds us that, that Saul has this light flash around him. So this light pierces through the darkness of Saul's life. And he falls to the ground and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? And if you continue to read the story in Acts chapter nine, it will just open your eyes literally to see what's happening here. here here's the guy who's bent on inciting riots. We know that because he incited a riot to kill Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He's inciting uh, against the principles of love and the scripture tells us that he's willing to bring everything down around him so that he can prove his point, that the way is not worthy. Does this story make you feel anxious at all? Does it kinda make you feel a little bit uneasy? I mean, you think about this, and there's, there's a lot of truth in what we see, and, and indeed it should, but, but what we have to remember is when we read a story of Saul of Tarsus, we need to remember one thing, God is more powerful. God is more powerful in strength. God is more powerful in wisdom. God is more powerful in grace and in love. God is more powerful in all powers and that that which Saul is inciting cannot last. God's the hero in this story. When we look at this conversion, and that's what it's called, conversion um, comes from the Hebrew word um, naham, which means, which means to repent or to change direction. So Saul's life is going in the wrong direction, and God is the hero of the story. God appears to him through Jesus in this vision on the road to Damascus and calls him into accountability. Why are you persecuting me? And then he gives him the hope to say, your life is gonna change. So God's power overwhelms Saul. 
No longer after coming and hearing the voice of the shepherd does Saul begin to want to hunt after lies and trouble and destruction. No longer is he listening to the voice of the thief and, and what's Saul doing? He, he's listening and he's following the voice of the shepherd. He hears Jesus speak and his heart can no longer contain hate. His heart can no longer contain disappointment. His heart can no longer contain wanting to enact Hammurabi's code to get back at somebody, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And instead, he runs to the truth. I mean, this, this is powerful. As God pours his love into Saul, as God showers Saul with grace, we begin to see this transformation of a person that history was ready to write off. A person that people said they could not change. God changed him because he heard the voice of the good shepherd Paul talks about the love, or Saul talks about the love of God. In fact, in his transformation, he no longer uses um, his Hebrew name, which was more attached to him being a Pharisee. Uh, he also, he was, he was a person that had two names, Saul and Paul. And he, had, he was also a Greek citizen, a Roman citizen. He was also a Hebrew citizen. So now he transforms himself and he takes the name of Paul, and, or uses the name of Paul, I should say. And, and if we were to look at all the transformation stories of the people in the scriptures, they're always renamed. Simon, you're now Peter. Jacob, you're now Israel. And that means that they have been transformed by God. That's where we get the name of what's your Christian name? Transformed by God. So now the guy who was, who was listening to the thief, who was being the thief, has now heard the voice of the good shepherd, and he, he now begins to say, wait a minute. This whole agenda that I have been pursuing has been wrong. God is love. And here's what he writes. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. This is the message translation. Paul is saying I can be the most eloquent speaker. I can, I can have, you know, the, the best words. I can have gone to a Carnegie um, you know, speaking class or Rotary or whatever, wherever you go to get speaking classes. I could be the best one. But you know what? If I don't love, then the message I'm proclaiming is nonsense. It's, I mean, isn't that what a squeak? Who, who, who has a squeaky gate at home? Somebody has to, besides me. You know, and so it needs repair. He, he goes on to say, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He's saying I can have all of the power to do whatever I want to do. I can tell people, jump, do this, do that. But if I don't have love, my power is worthless. He says, if I give everything I want to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Listen to me. If you've ever financially been bankrupt, you know what that feeling's like. 
It's despair. It's, it, some, some people experience shame because they, they had to go bankrupt and, and you feel helpless and you, you, don't, you can't get out of whatever you're in. So it's not a good place to be. And Paul says that, that you can have the heart to, to give charity to whomever, but if your heart is bankrupt with love, doesn't matter. And then he says this, love never gives up. Underline that in your mind. Love never gives up. That's called endurance, okay? Love cares more for others than for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, you know, it doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score on the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. So when you come to me and, and you're asking me to forgive you and I'm, I'm just excited because you're groveling before me, that's not love. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps going to the end. Are you getting what love's supposed to be? Are you getting what love is from the voice of the shepherd? Then he says this, love never dies. Why? How come he can boldly say love never dies? Because love comes from God. And that which comes from God can never end. So that takes the pressure off of us going like, how am I going to love, how am I going to love? Look, you, you, you recognize and embrace the love of God, you can love. Love cannot die because it comes from God. In other words, it endures all things. I've spent a, a great deal of time this week thinking about love and, and this subject as we kick off this series, Let's Go, and this foundation value of, of who we are as a church, that, that we love because we know that we're loved. We love others because Jesus loved us, and, and, and we want to love others. It's just something we want to do. And I, and I got to thinking that, that love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not something that I can choose. Well, today I'm going to love certain people, and I'm going to not love certain people. Or today I'm just not going to love. You know what? If love is from God, and if you and I are in God, then, then we don't have a choice that, that love lives in us, and love comes out of us, and it oozes out of us. It's called sanctification. It's, it's looking in a mirror. Instead of seeing your face, you see the face of Jesus. God, agape love. So I was thinking about love, and, and what do we do? And I, and I thought that you know we cannot love on our own. That God is the source. God is the foundation and that's why the scripture tells us in so many ways that we love because God, what? First loved us. So why do you love? It's because God first loved you. Why do you choose to love your spouse? Because God first loved you. Why do you choose to love the people you work with? Because God first loved you. Jesus would say, why do you love your enemies? Well, I don't. Yeah, you're supposed to. Because God first loved you. The power of the voice, the power of the words. Paul writes that love is the foundation. It's what binds us together. 
He writes also that if we hate our brother or sister, then we are not in the, in, we're, we're not lovers of God. Did you know that you were created in the image of God? Did you know that? It's called the Imago Dei. It's, 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 it's Latin, and it means the image of God. And what that means is, is that your parents, whether they were good parents or not good parents, God had them come together in union to create you. You're not really their creation. You're God's creation. Did you know that I'm a child of God too? That I'm created in the image of God? Did you know the people that you agree with are created in the image of God? Did you know the people that you disagree with are created in the image of God? So scripturally and theologically, what we come to know is when we start lobbing hate, when we start lobbing huge division, when we just dig our heels in and we don't want to hear anything else but our own way and whatever direction that that's taken and, and wherever that goes, what we're really saying is I'm, I am not acknowledging the image of God in you. Some would call that a sin. You see, as I've been thinking about our nation as you have, and the challenges that plague us. We're all aware of them. The challenges that plague us. I, I start beginning to think about, it's this division that's tearing us to the core. I say white, you say gray, I get mad at you because you didn't say white. But, but I can't accept you because you said gray or whatever the case may be. We see it happen in violent crimes. We see it happen in the isms of the world, racism, sexism, classism. We see it where we don't recognize each other in the imago Dei, the image of God, and we instead don't see each other of value or worth. That's what's caused divisions in our country, in my opinion. That's what disrupts the world. Because we are no longer in pursuit of the value of love, we're in pursuit of other things. And that's why it's so important for us this first Sunday that I'm here to go back to the story of the sheep. Because we have to ask ourselves, whose voice are we listening to? Whose voice will we follow? You see, the psalmist says, create in me a new heart, O God, that I may discover a new steadfast love. It's time for us to do that, folks. This isn't about political parties. It's not about posturing. I don't think it's about ideology to a sense that, that yeah, you know, I think it's more of the fact that we've lost what it means to love one another. Because if we loved one another, we would have a sense to understand each other better. And we would find a way to say, I can't buy fully that, but here's what I have, and I'm willing to work with you in Christ for the betterment of humanity. But we've lost that. It's all about one-upping the other person. It's all about calling out to disrupt and destroy. Whose voice are we listening to? You see, I keep going back to this passage because I understand that, that like what happened in the garden, we recognize that we are in sin today. Nobody in this room 
is exempt from sin. Nobody in this room is not a sinner. Nobody can stand before God right now and say, I'm not a sinner. We all are. And I think it's important for us to begin the journey together as a church, as a community, as a faith, as a world, as a nation, however we want to describe it. I think it's very important that we get to the point where we start turning our efforts toward finding common ground expensing our energies on discovering how to love one another. Because that's what the royal law says. And let me tell you, the moment that I stop pursuing the royal law, I'm committing sin. Because I've now devalued you. I've thought myself to be better, or my head to be better, or my plans to be better. Fundamentally, we're a wreck as a nation. And the time has come that we change that, that we repent. That's why I think 2 Chronicles 7.14 is so important today. I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to invite you to pray this as a prayer with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The chronicler uses an if-then statement. What's beautiful about if-then statements, I used to use these with my kids when they were little. If you do this, then I'll do that. The chronicler says that God is forgiveness and God is love, but you know what? There's a wedge that's there that we create, and until we remedy that or we rectify that or we repent and we change direction, we'll never know the love of God. So he says, if my people will do these things, humble themselves, confess their sin, have a heart that turns to Christ, so to speak, then I will hear them from heaven. Then I will come and heal their land. What that says to me is that church, capital C, we've got to do better. We've got to lead our nation into a time of repentance. We've got to lead our nation into a time of, of stopping to, to devalue other people and to stop pushing agendas and to start getting back to loving one another as God loves us. So I want to I end today with a, with a time of prayer. So those of you that are live streaming, I'm going to invite you that um, at home you might have a little more flexibility. If you want to get on your knees or if you want to adopt a posture of prayer, however you do that, I want to encourage you to do that. Those of you in the room today, I, I want to encourage you to adopt a posture of prayer. Some of you, there's enough space. You, you might want to kneel where you are at your chair or you might want to just bow your head, fold your hands. Some of you have a posture of prayer. You stand and you put your hands toward the heavens. Whatever your posture of prayer is, I am calling upon you to adopt it right now. And I'm asking you to pray with me for the brokenness that we're living in today. Will you adopt that posture? Lord, at times the world looks too good to be true. 
we're given promises and we're told if we follow and do in this, that this is our reward. And too often, God, that's not the case. Because when we peel it all back, we find out that oftentimes those invitations are filled with words. Words that are designed to pull us away from you. So God, I'm calling today upon all brothers and sisters in Christ, every person who is a part of the family of God. Lord, I'm, I'm calling for us to focus on you. Because I believe in my heart that if we focus on you, if we live under the words and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, then we will, we will always be in a way that which we understand the direction to go. Because as Jesus says, the shepherd calls his sheep. He knows the sheep intimately. He knows who we are. And the question is, are we listening to his voice? God, our hearts are broken. We love our country. We love the abilities that we have been given and the freedoms that we've been given, but God, we have mishandled it in so many ways. We repent. Because oftentimes our actions and our words and our thoughts and our agendas did not honor the shepherd, but honored ourselves. God, I don't know what it will take, but you do. But what I do know is that your word is clear that if we will humble ourselves before you, if we will surrender to you and you alone, if we will allow you to be our leader, heal the brokenness in our land, Lord, Heal the brokenness in our homes where we have parents fighting against children and children fighting against uh, siblings. We have friends who are disagreeing and, it, and it's become too political and it's become just too nasty that we can no longer even get along because if you don't believe what I do or I don't believe what you do, I'm ready to write you off. You're ready to write me off. That's not what the royal law says says to love you with everything about us and that we love one another as we love ourselves. God, maybe it begins there. Maybe we have lost how to love ourselves. We have become so wrapped up with everyone else's identity that we've lost our own identity. So maybe it begins humbly today to say, Lord, I'm lost. I'm a sheep of your pasture one of your own flock and fold, I have wandered away. Call me back, Lord. Call me back, great shepherd, as I hear your voice that I may be restored and healed. God, I pray today that you bind us together as a body that is humbled before you, seeking repentance to change from sin, that you bind us as we pray the prayer that you taught us by saying, our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we have trespassed against others. And lead us not into temptation and for sure deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all the church said, 